folklore, the beliefs, traditions, and culture of the people. Passed on in the most part through the spoken word, folklore expresses our values, our shared ideas with others. It is both how we were and how we are. Without a record, our customs and traditions may become lost to us in the present, but under the surface, we still draw on them. We still know. It's time to recall our forgotten history and to record the new. This is the Folklore Podcast. Welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, a folklore researcher and writer based in the southwest of the UK. Joining me on this edition of the Folklore Podcast to discuss our topic of modern fairy sightings and how they relate to older fairy folklore is Joe Hickey Hall. Joe is a folklorist and social historian and is also the co-author of my next book, Examining Modern Fairy Law. She joined me to discuss the project and subject, and we started with me asking her a little about her background and lead up to looking at this subject. Thank you for inviting me to talk. You're welcome. As well. Um, well, the interest in folklore goes way back to you know day zero, um, because my father, who was Irish. Um, used to tell me amazing bedtime stories every night um, about children going off on adventures, um, maybe going off on a walk and uh, with their siblings or their friends and losing losing their path a little, losing their way, um, maybe ending up on their own and uh, finding that they'd entered into a clearing that they didn't recognise, and uh, but sensing that it was important in some way, and um, invariably it would be a place where there were dolmens, and it would the landscape was described as the landscape um, where my father grew up in Mayfield and Cork, which was all very rural then. It's quite built up now residential area and so what would happen would be that um, the young child would find a spot where the grass was slightly darker than the rest of the grass a circle of dark grass and they would sit down feel sort of compelled to sit in this circle and um you know, they would sense the landscape around them, communing with them somehow, 
and almost go into a meditative state. But all the while, they would be remembering the words of their parents and friends saying, you know, beware the fairy ring. But nevertheless, they would feel so compelled to be there doing doing this. And um, through a series of um, descriptions, you would then enter into, you know, an, an other world, a kind of underworld, other world space. Um, and you would meet the fairies and various things would happen. And then, you know, sometime later, you would find yourself again having just woken up on that spot on, on the grass and wondering whether any of it had really happened and um, you would get up and sort of walk out of the space and now you'd be able to find your way home easily um, but there would always be some sort of you know um, expansion within your personal life afterwards and I think those stories were really important and I and I used to think oh you know I, I used to love listening to them but I used to think wow my dad is so fantastic he's making up these stories um, he's got such a fantastic imagination um, but it wasn't until um, a couple of years ago um, he passed away a couple of years ago and around that time I found out that actually these stories had been handed down through the generations and our family being an ancient Irish family, the surname Hickey or Ohikeda, which were the healers, Ohikeda means healer. Um, and we were the healers for the kings of Munster apparently, which probably means that we knew ways in which to use herbs and maybe other things too um, and so these stories are very ancient um, I would really love to know more about where our family came from so but the, the point was that having been handed down in the oral tradition that um, the art of storytelling had been sort of kept alive by by my dad and his and his family, so that was really kind of what drew me to folklore. It was I just thought that that was a normal kind of thing that everybody had. Everyone had their parents tell them these amazing stories, and of course they don't. And so I, I'm very lucky. Um, I was then sort of drawn to things like. Enid Blyton, which I think, you know, sort of getting to know the fairy folk of the wood, I think it's a really lovely introduction for children. I read it to my own children and they loved it too. Um, and so being out in nature as well and um, if we were on drives with my parents and we saw a little, you know, shack, a few, a few stones with a, with a tin roof or something, you know, that would be that's a three little pigs home or uh, you know this is look carefully on your left in a beautifully manicured garden that we used to drive past in Jersey that's where the fairies are and I would always look and I would often think I might have seen one hide behind a bush quickly while I was driving with my dad in, in his lorry um, going off to do various jobs so um, that's the kind of 
introduction and then there is quite a lot of folklore in Jersey um, there's a really really good book called Jersey Witches Ghosts and Traditions and it's a it's a it's a really kind of straightforward book but it's, it's brilliant and it's it's very accessible and it's got nice pictures in it um, and it's sold in lots of different places probably in tourist sites but um, if you go into any guest house or you know you, you often find that book and uh, so I grew up reading that as well um, and it would be all sorts of different stories that about ghosts and witches etc that had taken place in the parishes in Jersey um, and a lot of those stories were still alive as well you know you'd go off for walks and invariably someone on the walk with you would say oh do you know the story about this place so people did talk about folklore and tradition I've always been drawn to it always been fascinated by it and how it develops with sort of generations and also how it can cross borders and sort of evolve according to the landscape of the next town or the um, industry of the next town um, the sorts of people that are drawn to live there they bring with them all of these folklore tales and traditions um, and some of them blend as we know we might sort of see a tale that um, will cross counties but become ever so slightly different but the original kind of um, the uh, the original meaning of it is still there so yeah and it obviously had a very deep-seated effect on you such that you went on then to study Mm-hmm. Um, and you were supervised by Professor Ronald Hutton? Yeah, well, my initially I trained as a social researcher. I, I um, did a degree in social science in Jersey um, uh, through Plymouth and um, that set me up as a social researcher, which I really loved and worked on lots of kind of local projects um, more to do with women's rights, um, non-participating youths and the introduction of the discrimination law. So my grounding was actually as a social researcher. But that in itself is folklore. Absolutely. I mean, asking people what they think about the introduction of a discrimination law. Jersey is way, way behind the UK, by the way, whereas you had all of your laws introduced in the 1970s. We're only just introducing um, the race law at the moment, or I think it, I think it has been implemented now. Um, and we're looking to, um, you know, move forward with the others. But uh, so that in itself, it, you know, people have different ideas about um, society and um, that in itself is folklore. My interest, the, the, the sort of thought behind going to study um, with Ronald was that um, I had been sort of going along to local groups in Jersey that that taught you how to um, douse with uh, pendulums, all about crystals, all about astrology, healing, uh, seeing auras, um, you know, all of these sorts of things, past life regression, stuff like that. And um, so whilst, and that was in my 20s, so 20 years ago, early 20s Um, and so whilst I 
was interested in in healing arts. Um, I didn't do my degree until I was about 30, um, so 10 years ago. And I felt, well, these are two things I really love. I, um, I really love my social research. It feels like that's something that I'm very much drawn to. And yet I have the, this interest in um, the supernatural, folklore, um, and how it is understood and worked with by society, um, both present societies and past societies, and how it makes sense for people living in different places. Um, and I had seen that there was a, um, a study going on called the Leverholm Witch Project, which is still running, and uh, it's got a great group of people running that. They often do symposiums um, up at the University of Bristol. And I thought, wow, that looks like something I would really like to do. How do I do this? Um, and it, you needed a master's. And I thought, well, I'm going to go and do a master's. And the decision to do that, it sounds like it was taken very lightly, but um, as always is the case with these things, it felt like the universe kind of moved to help me along with that decision. Um, and uh, we moved to Bristol around about six months later, having found a place to stay and uh, obviously having spoken with, with uh, Professor Hutton, um, you know, was accepted on the course, etc., etc. Um, so my study with, with uh, Ronald was looking at the portrayal of fairy in medieval Irish literature. So that kind of felt like I was coming back round in the spiral um, with my interest in the kind of Irish folklore and fairy. Um, but looking at it from an academic perspective and um, well obviously rather than social research, which you know is very comes naturally to me, it was a literature-based research. So we were looking at how um, the later adaptations of those early medieval stories, how they developed in the early 20th century in plays by Yeats um, and William Sharp as Fiona MacLeod. Uh, so yeah, that was incredibly interesting and and just a, a great opportunity um, to be supervised by by Professor Ronald Hutton because you know he really is the kind of world um, you know um, expert on these on these things and uh, so that was a great experience and then whilst I was studying I went up to the folklore conference I joined the folklore society I felt that the uh, society looked as if it was kind of looking into some really interesting bits and pieces and it felt like a nice community that I could relate to um, because it is kind of academic as well as sort of being folklore. It's a nice balance and what a brilliant conference that was. That was one in Sheffield in 2015? 14? 15? 14. 14. It was a great conference, and um, so and that's where I met a whole group of people that, as I say, had sort of similar interests to me. Um, 
met your kind self mm-hmm. there too. Um, and it was when I joined the newer researchers group, uh, which followed from that conference, um, that we got to talking about project that 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 was that was coming up, and here we are. Absolutely, and I stole you from the newer researchers conference because I was starting on a project to look at fairy folklore and obviously fairies have been with you since you were very young in one way or another as mm. as you've just said um so with your love of interviewing people and your social history background and your um work with fairy folklore through your masters and and previously and in fact going right back to your early listening to stories being told Mm. by your dad Mm -hmm. days there was a lot there to work with now it's been the case I think yes it's been the case I think for for many years that the traditional collecting of folklore has been dying out in some respects. Mm. The internet means that people can contribute stories very easily through Mm. forum Mm -hmm. posts, through email, whereas 50, 60 years ago there were this group of really prolific folklore collectors who would go out into the countryside, Mm -hmm. into the towns, into the cities, and sit and do what we're doing now, and Mm. talk with people. And that doesn't happen so much these days, and I think it's a real pity, because as powerful a tool as the internet is, as soon as you post a story on it, it instantly becomes unbelievable by a whole raft of people who have been conditioned to not take stories at face value anymore Mm. or to look into things and folklore is a little bit different folklore is about recording people's beliefs Mm -hmm. and traditions and whether those beliefs are scientifically provable or a hundred percent accurate or actually happen in the way that people think they experience them is not with, with folklore, it doesn't matter. With paranormal research, you go out to prove the existence of a ghost or a spirit. With folklore, you record the experiences that people have had in a location and you look at similarities and differences and why these traditions have built up. You're not looking to scientifically prove something. You're looking at how people have grown in a culture to adopt a set of beliefs. So this project I think is wonderful because it's a chance to go out and do that traditional field work Mm. and for you to sit and talk to people face to face and, and understand what people think. Now, fairy belief was a very powerful thing for hundreds of years. But when we reach the Victorian age, fairy belief died out in many areas of the world. Mm. So do people still believe in fairies now? 
Yeah, they very much do, and and you're right. I mean, from the, the beginning of kind of industrial times, I suppose, as people moved out of the rural areas and into urban areas, that collective folklore, the collective folklore consciousness of the um, community did fade because people just weren't surrounded by the landscape anymore. They weren't surrounded by their family members who might have told them these stories. And because there was such a move towards the modern, and more to to the point actually, a move away from what had been, the urban, um, the sort of rural areas were almost kind of, the whole culture there was sort of seen as a, a bit backward. Um, and something that should remain in the past and and so with it the belief systems um, that had been you know strong in these communities of course one of the places that did remain strong was Ireland um, for a couple of reasons Um, they didn't have industrialization in the same way in Ireland as, as we did in in England and Scotland and Wales um, and so people were in rural areas for a lot longer and it still survives very strongly there uh, because of the ritual tradition, I feel. Um, I think there's something about the people as well, actually, uh, not just in Ireland, but in certain parts of Europe as well. There's uh, there's an openness, I think, um, that you don't get as much maybe in it, I mean certain parts of England you still do, I think down in Devon and these sorts of places um, there probably is and Cornwall of course there are still lots of kind of strong folklore ties but um, but also in Ireland the other the other reason why the folklore remained quite strong was because we didn't have the same sort of religious reformation in Ireland in the same way that we did in England and the religious reformation really really kind of um, came down strongly on any of these sort of folklore beliefs and they began to be demonised by various sort of um, you know parts of the Christian church Um, so do people still believe in fairies? Absolutely. Do we get to hear about it very often? Well, apart from the, as you say, the Victorian sort of fairy Tinkerbell type stuff, the twee, yeah, you, you get a lot of that. It's all over the toy shops. Um, it's, you know, all over our Hollywood movies and, and, and books. Um, but it isn't like the real essence of fairy uh, which is rather more gutsy and uh, as sort of not not uh, light and fluffy by any means um it's more much more earthy people do still believe but they don't often talk about it because it's considered you know a bit mad really um you know either because you're seen as a bit light and fluffy uh, if you were, say, working in healing circles or involved in any other sort of alternative belief systems like paganism, even even in those sort of circles, people are still quite unsure about, you know, what about fairy? I'm really not sure about that. The kind of the jury's out for a lot of people in terms of fairy. But 
yeah, go into um, rural communities, say in Ireland still, and you will get people holding quite strong beliefs. And you might well just be, you know, standing next to someone in your local Tesco who may have had an experience with fairy. It's as simple as that. There's not always a rhyme or reason to it. Um, you can't say that, you know, it will only ever be the people that are into, say, healing or paganism that will have the fairy experience. I think one of my favourite uh, tellings of sightings was the um oh gosh and I can't remember now I can't remember the name of the film but um it is about it's not the Icelandic fairy film it is the and hopefully you can look this up in the meantime and um and then pop it pop it onto this podcast but it's one that we added to the modern fairy sightings um Facebook page is one of the very first posts and uh, it tells that the the, um, the camera zooms in on this this guy who is a Glaswegian sort of labourer of some sort um, about 10 years ago it was recorded maybe and he's sitting in this beautiful landscape which is, I'm assuming, in Scotland somewhere, that it was a place that he used to, you know, walk. And um, and he tells the story of how he was sitting on a hill one afternoon and uh, just noticing how the light was changing in the sky and how beautiful it was and just kind of relaxing, sitting there, just thinking, well, you know, life just really doesn't get much better than this, does it? And out of the corner of his eye, he saw a figure down near his feet. And it was a, it was a, 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 a fairy about maybe two, three foot, foot tall. Um, oh, that's right. It was his shadow that was being cast on the ground, on the grass. There was a fairy at the end of his shadow. Um, beginning to roll up his shadow as if it were a carpet or something tangible so this fairy young this fairy man who had a really ancient face and he said and he they was absolutely filthy just ingrained dirt just right into every pore and in his fingernails and just but this ancient um you know being so there he is rolling up his shadow and he thought what what and he looked down at his feet and there was another one, a woman. And uh, she was there with a pair of scissors cutting away the shadow from his feet. And they were working on this together. And he he just was in complete shock. And he just thought, oh, what a, what a cheek, you know. And he looked out and he went, oi! And the, <laughs> the, fair, the two of them looked up and they scarpered. And, you know, what an incredible experience to have. And this guy is not your fairy hunter. He's not your healer, your pagan, your folklorist. He's just your average bloke, a labourer, in his, looked at maybe in his 30s or early 40s, going out for a stroll near his home. Um, you know, it's a fantastic sighting because it's, it's, it's a true it's a true experience 
you know, for him. And um, and I think that that's something that is quite apparent when you do talk to people. Um, like you were saying, you can put sightings on Facebook or um, the internet. And you were saying that as soon as they're out there, it feels like, oh, this just doesn't kind of ring true. I think the reason that it feels like that is because you really haven't got anything to base it on. The point about speaking to people is that as soon as you sit, meet someone, sit down and begin to talk to them, you know immediately, and I've talked to other people about this as well, and it, you know immediately whether what they're saying is true. Um, and you also get a sense when somebody is perhaps hoping for something to be true, but it, it hasn't happened in, in, in that way. Um, you do really get a sense when something is absolutely as they say and, and it is it is it is true it's, it's their experience so and of course you can't get that through the the um, through the internet I mean the use of Skype that's that's really helpful but I think it is at, you know sitting down with someone and that's what captures the essence of the experience it's interesting isn't it that that experience of having the shadow cut away I suppose the first thing it makes you think of is Peter Pan and Captain Hook mm. and the shadow being removed in that possibly that image of having the shadow removed is almost drawing on some kind of folk memory or or deep-seated belief in having your soul taken and you said earlier about the collective consciousness and some people will refer to that as folk memory so going back to things that your ancestors believed and even if you don't perhaps believe in them yourself or you don't even understand very much about the tradition that they relate to somehow you just kind of have this understanding or or you relate to these things do you think that that's what's going on in some of pe these experiences that people have that some kind of folk memory is is being drawn upon i i don't know really i think that people just have experiences and it might be the same as um popping out to the shop and bumping into an old lady um, who you end up having a conversation with and maybe on the way home you kind of realise that maybe that's the first conversation that they've had that week, never mind that day, and what an important experience it was. And you, you know, it, it's, you, you think about that person and, you know, it just becomes an experience, whatever you've spoken about what you felt you know the communication between you um i think it's literally as simple as that i i really do i just think um you know the way that the sightings are being expressed to me and communicated to me is that they are matter of fact um and you know they don't sort of it's, it's interesting because the more sort of simplistic ones um, often appear to be the most powerful ones um, 
it's not always like you might read in fairy books in sort of fairy tales um it can just be become actually quite mundane it really so you know you you're just out for a walk and uh you see something or you know you're, you're sitting in your home and and you know something appears or you know and it's very unexpected um but in terms of the folk memory and collective consciousness i think that as human beings we just have this human collective consciousness the beings that people see i don't have the answers but i feel that perhaps you know they are there all the time as we are here all the time um but of course some people would argue that time doesn't exist at all um they there's something what whatever separates us um so so that we don't see them all the time i don't know but um I suspect that it is when we are in a particular emotional state that we notice. In the same way that that conversation with the you know the lady at the shop might not happen unless you were in a certain state of mind. If you were rushing about and you know going about your business, you don't see that lady. Um, you don't have the time to stop and talk. It's when you are in a certain openness, an open state um, that you can often have these experiences. Uh, But of course they're not always good either. Some people have had really terrifying experiences. In my experience talking to people, it seems to be that if you are going through a really difficult emotional time, Um, some sort of trauma or depression uh, or you're close to somebody that is experiencing the same then that seems to be when people have really awful experiences I guess it could work the other way as well I haven't had um, any people have you know said they've had a kind of rescuing experience where they were in a really dark place and they saw something really beautiful it would be interesting to to um, hear about those experiences but certainly I've heard that conversely when somebody has had an experience that is really beautiful and meaningful to them they have been in a state of joy um, peace uh, openness maybe feeling completely in love with someone or something or a place or just feeling very grateful to be alive in some way experiencing joy about connecting with a certain landscape that's when these really lovely experiences seem to happen so my feeling is that there's something in that now whether that opens up the door to the folk memory collective consciousness or human consciousness I don't know but I suspect so I suspect that's what's happening Um, and some people might say well then 
you know, it's it's just within the imagination. But then, what is the imagination? <laughs> you know, how can we how can we define that? Um, and isn't this what makes folklore such a fascinating subject? Is mm. that we're looking at people's beliefs, mm. how those beliefs vary from place to place, yeah. how people interpret what they see around them, what they experience, and folklore is all about meaning. Everything is a sign or a symbol, if you mm. look at it in that way. Signs and symbols have to be decoded. They have meaning to individual people. And that's what makes this really interesting, is is what these things mean and what people believe from place to place that these things mean. Yeah. You look at Iceland, mm. for example. Fairy belief in Iceland is that's probably one of the strongest places uh, in the world for modern fairy belief. You see stories, don't you, even now of contractors being told not to develop mm. pieces of land because they will disturb the fairy and, and terrible mm. things will befall them. In other countries, that would be seen as a very outlandish view. Mm. Although any Eddie Lenehan managed to uh, to do the same in Ireland with the fairy hawthorn tree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's possibly one of the only other places yeah. where you see this kind of thing happening. So I think that there's this scale of taboos mm. for what we talk about. Yes. And somehow some traditions or some pieces of folklore are acceptable mm -hmm. even if the person that you're discussing them with doesn't believe them yes. personally it's acceptable so if i tell you that i saw the ghost of a white lady mm. walking along some castle ramparts mm -hmm. you might not believe that that castle is haunted by the ghost of a white lady but you can understand why I might have had that experience. Yes. And it's it's okay for me to have seen that. Mm. That's okay. It might not be in your belief system, but it's fine. Yes. Or I might have seen something unexplained in the clouds and said, I saw a UFO and I'm fairly certain that that's some kind of spaceship visiting this Earth. Mm. You might think that well, was probably a plane or Venus or one of the other acceptable mm. excuses for people seeing something unexplained in the sky. But it's okay for me to have seen it, and that's yeah, that's quite a nice belief, that's fine. But do fairies somehow sit above this taboo line of somehow the majority of people when you tell them you've had a fairy experience will suddenly go, Well, that's a bit weird. Mm. That mm. makes you slightly kooky mm. or strange. Yeah. Why is there this gap between some parts of folklore which are acceptable to experience and other parts which just make the percipient a bit odd? Yeah, I think that that is an interesting point. And I, I think if we think about ghosts, well, that's kind of dead people. So we know that we are people and that we die. And so somehow that's not as threatening. Mm. Okay, so I haven't, you know, one person may, may not have had um, a ghost experience, but their great auntie Hilda swears that she saw, you know, 
bob appear you know in the middle of the night so so we can kind of relate to that like you say um that makes sense to us ufos it's almost like oh you know that might creep someone out if, if they thought about the existence of aliens but i think maybe they would think i would pretty much know if i was going to see an alien because i would see a spaceship and some flashing lights and, and anyway they're up there aren't they the feeling about fairies is oh if they if they actually had to think about are fairies real then where are they is there one in the tree outside now is there you know there are they among us are they there all the time and i can't see them what does this mean because fairies they are i would feel part of the landscape so somehow the landscape can kind of be a bit out there as well it can be um unknown territory um you know, particularly at night time say um so i think that there is such a big jump from ghost to fairy because if you're talking about fairy then you are talking about invisible beings who are there and whom are you know another race of of, of being and not human and that's just too much for for some people yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, it's sort of sort of way and above the uh, the alien but then if we think about the way that aliens through kind of sci-fi came into the kind of mainstream um, you know uh, in the 1950s then maybe there's a time for the same to happen with the idea of, of fairies being real Absolutely. There are some very, very interesting parallels. We don't have time to discuss them now, but some very interesting parallels between fairy folklore and reports of UFO abductions, for example. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we'll discuss that in the episode supplement for this episode. Mm -hmm. If people are interested, download the episode supplement for this episode and We'll add some extra information about the similarities between fairy folklore and UFO folklore. Mm. So to wrap up for now, um, this research project is recording people's modern fairy experiences. I think there are two things that, that are really valuable about this project. Um, one, one is that we're recording new folklore in the traditional way and that uh, that is not going to be lost but more importantly that it's being examined in this whole range of different ways that you've talked about looking at people's emotional states their interaction with the landscape and the surroundings and how this experience fits into all of those things mm. that is a very valuable way of looking at stuff which is excellent and I think I hope that the other thing that will come out of this project for people is that it helps people who have perhaps had an experience for the first time to be able to reconcile it by by saying, hey, other people have experienced similar things. Mm. This might be going on and it will help them to understand a bit more. Yeah. I think it is a support for people. I think I'm hoping that it will be. 
um, because a lot of people, if they have experience, they are terrified of telling anybody. Mm. Both because if it has been a terrifying experience, they just are really worried that it might happen again. Um, but usually, uh, because they just are frightened of being ridiculed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Modern fairy sightings, I think, is a really important piece of research. And um, the way that it has been sort of picked up, uh, particularly on Facebook, the Facebook page, Modern Fairy Sightings, suddenly, you know, we have 350 members and that's all within the space of a few months. So there's appetite for it. People are interested. So maybe this really is the opening up of the, you know, idea of around the belief of fairies in the same way that the... That we that we saw with um, aliens in in sort of mid twentieth century. So yeah, absolutely. And by the end of the project, time will have told mm. how that has panned out. Yeah. On the folklore podcast website, we'll put details of how to get in touch mm-hmm. if people want to talk to you about their experiences. Yes, we have the um, so as I said, the Facebook page. We also have the fairy phone and. Um, that is a, a, a telephone number that you can call with your sightings, um, but also just to call and talk to me, um, because as I said, I like to come and speak to people face to face. And um, but where that's not possible, then then Skype is a good option. But the um, the number for the fairy phone is 07398-456-863. And if you don't have Facebook or don't use Facebook, you can email on modernfairysightings at gmail.com. So uh, that's all one word or lowercase, modernfairysightings at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you and also just have a chat about these things because it's important to do that. Excellent, thank you. Yeah, interaction is vital, isn't it, in yeah. the in the study of folklore and mm-hmm. in the recording of folklore. So, mm-hmm. all of those details we'll put on the folklore podcast website, and people can hopefully get in touch. Joe, it's been a pleasure to talk to you about fairies and fairy research. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank, thank you, Mark. That was great. During the interview, Joe referred to a video that she could not recall the details of. A link to that video will be posted along with Joe's biography on our guests section on the website. Head over to www.thefolklorepodcast.com to find that. Remember, there is so much more that you can do on that site too. For new listeners this month, you will find all of our episodes there to listen to free on the episodes page. You can also subscribe to the podcast and our free monthly newsletter. The supplements page has links to download the e-magazine supplement which accompanies each episode. Remember that you can support the Folklore Podcast on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, for which you will receive all of the supplements published during your patronage, saving you over 50% on buying them from the website. At the same time, you're helping us to cover our costs and securing the future of the show. Thank you to those that do. A little help means a lot to us. 
we welcome your comments and interaction. And new this month, we've set up a Facebook group for this purpose. You can find the link from our main Facebook page or search Facebook groups for the Folklore Podcast. We got an overwhelming number of requests to join in the first 24 hours of launch and it continues to grow. Myself and Melissa, the Folklore Podcast's art director, will join you here as much as time allows. But we are lucky to have a new volunteer in the shape of Monica Suzanne. Monica is moderating this group, having great experience working in other online communities. We're really grateful for her help and welcome her to the podcast family. Finally, please help us to continue to grow by sharing our group pages and podcasts wherever you use social media and bring more people into our folklore community and please leave us a positive review on itunes or your other podcast provider that really really helps us to grow in the next show i'll be looking at some traditions and folklore from yule time around the world thanks for listening see you next time This episode of the Folklore Podcast was hosted by me, Mark Norman, and my special guest was Joe Hickey Hall. The Folklore Podcast's art director is Melissa Martell. Please head over to her website at www.mdmcreate.com to find out more about Melissa and her work. The Folklore Podcast theme tune is written and performed by Gurdy Bird. <laughs>